Okay, let's see. What's today? It's uh, Monday, the 16th of February, 2015. Ooh. And that, I believe, makes it solder smoke. What was that number, Pete? 172. 172. All right. All right. First, we're going to start. We had, you know, we had some complaints about the audio in the last one. You know, we're very sensitive to complaints. We take oh, them to yeah. heart. We view yeah. them as constructive criticism. Oh, yeah. But people should have some background information because sometimes, sometimes, well, sometimes we're flat-topping a little bit. Sometimes we're, we're hitting a little bit too hard. But Pete and I have discussed this, and we have a good excuse, especially Pete. <laughs> people need to understand this. There's, a, there's an ethnic factor here, Pete, correct? Correct. And Absolutely. this is the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. And let, we should let our listeners know, what's the problem? I talk with my hands and talk with enthusiasm. That's the problem. <laughs> and, and, and his last name is Giuliano. Yeah, Giuliano. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sounds yeah, like it's, it's from uh, Calabria, right? Are you from Calabria? Yeah, well, Calabria and Sicily, Castel so, Termin. Well, there you go. I mean, so yeah. listen, all we're saying here, guys, is that a, a little bit of flat topping and, you know, unbridled enthusiasm. It just goes with the territory. We're just going to have yeah. to accept it. It's content. Content that counts. That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to try. We're going to try for both here. Anyway, Solder Smoke 172. Here we are. Pete, we must start with the on your bench segment. What is on your bench right now? <laughs> well, I'm laughing a little bit. There is so much junk on my bench right now. <laughs> but it's good junk. It's creative oh, good junk. junk. Good junk. Well, I, I'm a little under the gun here, Bill, because uh, we've got to finish part two of Let's Build Something. So I actually have the part two um, hardware sitting on the bencher that I'm trying to work. And there's a, a few hiccups. You know, typically as you build something, something doesn't work just right. So we're kind of going through that stage. We've got the uh, the uh, receiver portion uh, working. And uh, we're shortly to add a few modules and we'll get the transmitter working. Because <laughs> in about three weeks, i got to have the article done. Ben and I have to be finished and have to have something working. So uh, right now, that's what's consuming well, I, most I, of my time. I, I saw the video of the receiver you know the way i like it spread out all over the bench <laughs> interconnecting wires all the stages all the the guts exposed yeah and it's yeah. and it sounded fantastic it sounded great actually i got a complaint about the audio <laughs> oh man Why, yeah. who said what who's who complained well it sounded a little low and and there's you, you know you got to realize this is a pretty basic simple receiver there's not a lot of you know, amplifying circuits in there, so it's to, to keep it simple. But by the way, before we leave here, I want to share with our audience a real find, a a super duper find. This is ultimately going to be on a breadboard, two feet by two feet. So it's two foot square wooden breadboard, and the circuits will all be screwed down. And so uh, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I went into Home Depot looking for a piece of plywood. You'd have to take a home mortgage. <laughs> I know. To buy, yeah. To buy, to buy a piece of plywood. I mean, they they don't come in two by two. You got to buy a two by four, and this thing was like eighteen bucks. And I said, man, I got to find another way. And then I discovered that Home Depot sells this really nice finished drawer material that goes yeah. in the bottom of drawers. Yep, yep. And it's slightly less than a quarter inch. And that piece is five dollars and ninety seven cents. And they cut two free cuts. Um, so I said. Find the middle, <laughs> cut it in half. I'll glue them together. So now I have this 
ice, two foot by two foot by half inch thick piece of plywood for the breadboard for less than six bucks. Oh, so man. What a, what a fine. What so a fine. Head out to Home Depot. Yeah, Get Home your, Depot. Tell yourself, you're in, tell them that you're interested in building some drawers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, I, I'm serious. You know, sometimes you have to uh, really look through uh, through all kinds of uh, opportunities to come up with a a good uh, solution that's uh, cost effective. And so I did want to. I'm so enthusiastic about that. I want to share that with our, our with our. No, excellent, excellent. So you know, but about, getting back about the audio, I, I, you got to give this receiver a chance because what I found is that when you get a new receiver going. In the beginning, it's like you gotta, you gotta pull that signal out of it. You gotta yeah. tweak it. You gotta tweak it. You gotta yeah. work on it. A lot of, a lot of people, when they build their first receiver, especially their first super hat, they think they're gonna turn it on and, and bang, it's gonna be working like it's supposed to. But there's always a lot of peaking and tweaking. So I think you're gonna, I think you're, you're, oh, gonna, yeah. you're gonna get, get, get past that. I think it's a, it's a beautiful receiver. And it's really cool to see it all spread out on the table like that. So <laughs> yeah. we've got we've got a few of those videos. We got another video. I think who was it? Dean yeah, sent, sent us in one of, of of a receiver that he built. Yeah, and it's the same effect. You've got that kind of exposed on the workbench. Oh, what we yeah. call first light. You know, it's yeah. like with the telescope. First light, first, light, first signals. All right. Yeah. Any, anything else on the uh, N6PW yeah, bench? Actually, uh, actually, something that uh, I wanted to share with uh, with our podcast listeners. Sometimes we, you know, suddenly we have a ray of light strikes us and said, "Man, why didn't I think of that before?" Uh, I got an email from uh, W9RAS, and uh, he was looking through the internet because he's he's got a receiver with a Heathkit uh, crystal filter in it. And uh, so he was asking some questions about a project that I built uh, here in 2009. So what I hadn't really thought about is another use for the SI5351. And uh, if, you, if you look, and I won't go into a lot of detail here because we have so many things to cover, but if you look on uh, QRZ.com under my call sign N6QW, you'll see the KWM4 and you'll see the frequency scheme in there. And uh, back in the old days, there was two ways of building dual conversion receivers. One way was to use a uh, crystal-controlled oscillator, a whole bank of crystals, and you uh, <clears throat> take the incoming signal and you beat it against that uh, heterodyne uh, oscillator, and you come out with a uh, fixed frequency that then you put into another mixer, and you had a, a single-frequency VFO that outputted into the IF stage. Well, uh, today it's possible... Uh, to, to reverse that process a little bit, that the first stage, instead of being crystals, you have a uh, something like the SI5351, which is very stable and can provide the injection frequencies. And then you have a second fixed frequency that you can use for the second conversion, much like I did in the KWM4. So I, I see a real additional potential uh, of the SI5351 with multiband radio. So uh, just uh, something I got on the bench here, and I'm going to explore a little bit, and we'll, we can talk about that in future podcasts. Oh, man. It sounds, sounds very interesting. All right. Well, I, I want to, you know, uh, we're going to get back to those crystals here because we're going to have a, a little bit yeah. more discussion about that. But I, I just wanted to update. I have kind of related developments here. You know, I've been, I've been kind of uh, obsessed with 17 meters for the last year and a half or so, but we have to remember that there are other frequency bands out there. And as the sunspots begin to become uh, more, more and more scarce, <laughs> yeah. um, we have to start looking lower and lower in frequency. 
So that was one of the main reasons that I built, and it's been about a year now since I built it, the uh, the Bidex 2040, my dual bander. Uh, you guys will recall it's it's kind of unusual. It's got a, the IF at 11 megahertz and the uh, a VFO, not a VXO, but I wanted to build a real VFO operating at about 3.7 megahertz. So, you know, you add it and it takes you up to 14. You subtract it, it takes you down to 7. And I have... I had a little arrangement there. There were a number of things that had to happen when I threw the 20 to 40 switch. Uh, one was the LP, the low pass filters were switched by a couple of relays. Two, the bandpass filters were switched by a couple of relays. Three, the BFO frequency was shifted because it ended up with one being on, being upper sideband, one being a lower sideband. So I had to switch the, uh, the, the BFO frequency. And the fourth thing that had to happen was that I had to shift by only by about two or three hundred hertz, the the VFO frequency to keep myself in the phone band, both on twenty and forty, and uh, it worked out well. It took me a while to get the VFO uh, stable, but it, it it worked. But then lately, you know, I don't I haven't been using this rig too much. But when I did go back to it, I noticed that it was more unstable than it should have been. I mean, there's always a bit of instability with a VFO if you haven't really been super fastidious about temperature compensation and I wasn't I, I got it sorted to the point where it was good enough and then I left it alone um, but I noticed that it was there was something wrong in there and, I, and usually the problem occurred when I switched from 20 to 40 and I, I remembered that the relay that I used inside the VFO box was this really cheap little junk box relay and so I started suspecting that it wasn't making a good contact I also was thinking that the coil in the relay might actually be getting a little bit hot. It might be generating a little bit of heat. And I had a dropping resistor in there too, and that wouldn't help because the dropping resistor definitely would be generating a little bit of heat. And so I noticed that things got more unstable when I threw the switch to 20 because that relay would kick in. So anyway, I decided it was time to go in there and clean house. So I, yesterday I opened it up, I pulled out the, the cheap little relay, and I put in one of those nice relays that we're all using those little yellow ones those are those are really good those little 12 volt dc double pole oh, double yeah. throw Kissed. man they're nice they're really yeah. good um and i i put it in there replaced it all it does is it switches in an additional 220 picofarads when i throw the switch to 20 and that moves the vfo just to where i need it and man this was one of those satisfying repairs pete you know when you get it and it's done and it's fixed and then you turn it on, and it sounds great. It works! <laughs> Holy cow. It really, I mean, I, I, I just, it sounds so good. It sounds so good, I'm going to play a little bit of it right now. Hold on. All right, now I got it on 20. A lot of audio. Uh, then I, I would imagine her school teacher, as I am. And, That's 20. Uh, now I'm going to throw the switch. Boom. Change the antenna. Now I'm on 40. Anyway, that's it. Kind of cool. It sounds great. And it's got that, you know, it's got that, uh, it's got so much audio that I haven't even really been able to find 
a pot setting where I could turn the audio off completely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of cool, what's your temperature there this morning? Well, that's what these guys are talking about on 40 meters. It's um, It was about 5 degrees Fahrenheit this morning, which I think comes out to like negative 17 Celsius for, for listeners from the rest of the world. Um, it's, it's really cold. It's not as windy today as it was yesterday. Yesterday it was the same temperatures, but windy. And believe me, that adds a whole new dimension of suffering to the, to the equation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my, my poor wife from the Dominican Republic. I mean, this is just, it's almost too much. I mean, it really is. It's, uh, she, she suffers with this. And, uh, so I think in the long term, we're going to be, uh, relocating to more southerly climbs warmer climbs oh yeah, man got, no, she, she just she really really doesn't like it um i mean i've gotten used you know you grow up here you get used to it but every time i see her suffering i start thinking you know she's right this is really nuts <laughs> <laughs> so uh i don't know we, we in the next few years we might be, be be heading south but anyway back to the 2040 uh, so anyway it was a really kind of nice uh nice thing but one one question i have is that, you know, I have this, sep I built the VFO in a box, in a separate box, because I'm always told it's good to have a little bit more isolation. It aids with temperature stability because there's not a lot of air circulation going through there. But if I, 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 I when I turn this rig on, it takes a while, it takes like 15 minutes for the VFO to really stabilize. Once it's stabilized, it doesn't move. It's fine. But if I open the box, you know, I can feel the heat in there. It's not hot but it's 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 warm even the vfo box i could tell that it's gotten warm and the only thing that's running in there is uh three transistors and a zener diode and i i i don't think any of them are pulling all that much current but i guess just the small amount of heat over time kind of heats that up what do you think is it normal or that should that thing be cold to the touch uh, no, it's a it's a good idea to be warm because yeah. you, now you have a temperature controlled oven. That's right, it's, <laughs> and it's and it once I think that's what happens yeah. once is it once yeah. it reaches thermal equilibrium, right? Yeah, I mean right. it's just, it gets as hot as it's going to get because the, the energy going in is is equal to the energy being dissipated by the box, and yeah. that's what you want. Perfect. I might even I might even work up something where I keep the VFO on all the time. You know, that's an old trick. Yeah, I used to run it off a D battery. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you know, even some of the more modern radios, uh, I have a Tentech Omni 6, and they have a fix in there that essentially when the radio's off, the the, the VFO circuit is on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's the idea is to minimize. So when you turn it on, there's no drift. I mean, even some of the most modern radios drift. Yeah. Maybe 100 hertz. <laughs> oh, no. It's unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, I'm really, really pleased with this thing. But I, but you know, you'll get a chuckle out of this, you know, because we've been talking about digital frequency readouts. And no. I'm, but I'm, I am out there, and I let me show you what I'm, I'm using now for the frequency readout. Our listeners can't see this because they are audio only. But remember these oh, things. Yes, yes Dymo tape label. The Dymo organizer 1610. These are the things that produce those tacky-looking little black and white like number alphabetical number things that you stick on. So I've stuck them on to my uh, my uh, BitX2040 transceiver so I could tell the, the tuning range. On 40, I go from 7.125, which is the lower end of the phone band. I can go all the way up to 7.287, which is pretty much pretty close to the top, 13 KCs from the top of the phone band. On 20, it tunes in the opposite direction, but that's okay. I go from 14.213 
all the way up to 14316. It's kind of an unfortunate upper end because that's where the real crazy people hang out on 20 meters. <laughs> but it just worked out that way. Yeah. I might put a I might put like a red alert on there. Don't go yeah. up that high. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's my uh, my adventures in uh, with the 2040 rig. Now I've got to build a low pass filter so I could put the uh, put the 20 put the 40 meter rig on with the the CCI amplifier, and I have the the big toroidal coils and everything else. It's just a matter of of doing it. And um, anyway, that's but uh, oh, and I've been playing around. With, I told you I, I I I put on the blog. I I paid 13 bucks for one of these um, Sanjian um, uh, frequency counters from China. With the blue LEDs. Blue. The blue is cool. Yeah. You, you told me that. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. It adds an element of color to the shack, and it's it's so easy to hook up. I just had a little balsa wood box, and I made a little balsa wood box for it, and I, I hook up, you know, there's three leads. One goes to ground, one goes to 12 volts, and one goes to frequency input. And I just found a place in the VFO circuit, actually in a, in a B, VXO circuit in the bit X17, to connect to get a little sample of the, the VXO frequency. You could set the IF offset. That is so cool, because on my um, on my BIDX 17, the the IF is at five megahertz. So uh, I figured out what the exact carrier oscillator frequency is. I, I set that as the the IF offset. And now when I turn this thing on, it's so cool. The blue numbers pop right up, and it gives me uh, you know numerical you know frequency readout, and it's it's like it's stunningly accurate. It's really really cool, and so. I found that I, <laughs> you, you and I were laughing about this before, but I found that there's a little bit of kind of wobble on the last digit, you know, because it's always trying to figure out whether it's a six or a seven or a six or a seven, and sometimes down to five, sometimes up to eight. And I didn't like that. So I came up with a real kind of analog guy kind of solution. High tech, high tech. It, it was high tech and, and, and very aesthetically uh, sensitive. I took a little square piece of black um, electrical tape and put it over the last <laughs> digit. <laughs> it could wobble all at once now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Doesn't yeah, bother me yeah, a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, that's what I've been doing. I, I don't have any big rigs on the table, and I, I feel kind of uneasy about this. Like I should be building another rig, and I, and I, 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 I do. I feel a rig coming, and I want to tell you, just give you a little preview. You're, you're, you're influencing this in in a really significant way. But here's what the new rig is going to be like. Um, uh, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to use bilateral amps because I really like that whole thing. But I'm thinking about using Wes Hayward's 50 ohm non-transparent impedance amps because Farhan recommended those at one point. These are amps so that it really doesn't matter what you hang off the the output, the input still looks like 50 ohms and vice versa. Right. So you know, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I have a I have a motive for doing this because I am really I have a long history of struggle with impedance matching, right? Now, there's a couple ways to do this. You could learn all kinds of network analysis stuff, or henceforth, you could make everything you build 50 ohms. That's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's the, the way to do I know it. it's the easy way out, but uh, yeah. it might be right for me. So anyway, I might use those bilateral lamps. And Pete, you're going to love this. You're going to like this. I'm going to go DDS. <laughs> Either DDS or some form of digital... Frequency thing. I know you're right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. The full Giuliano on this one. <laughs> SI fifty three fifty one. Fifty one. Yes. I'm gonna yes. do it, and that's a yes. PLL device too. Yes. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it that way, 
and uh, and I'm gonna this this way I'm gonna be able to do both the BFO and the VFO, and then here this is an info. Oh, and I'm gonna go with SBL ones for the for the diode rings. Yes. You know because in for a penny, in for a pound. Once you got the <laughs> once you're doing a you know a digital you know black box frequency synthesis for the for the oscillator or the BFO. Well, you might as well just you know chip it out, go chip to the max. So uh, even though the SBL one is uh, it's not a chip, it's you know it's a, it's a little device there. So I'll use that. And then finally, this influence comes from Paul M0XPD, um, and that is plug-in filters. I want to do um, I want to be able to to plug in not only the crystal filters, but do a plug-in for the low-pass filter and the band-pass filter, because I'm thinking that that plug-in scheme combined with the the digital the SI5351 converts that pretty much into an all band rig. Yes. And and you don't have to do a lot of band switching. So if you want if you if you've been running it on 17 for a while and suddenly you want to turn it into a 12 meter rig, bang, you just, you know, change the filter. You you, you could even leave the crystal filter the same, but the plug-in crystal filter gives you the opportunity to fool around with different IF frequencies completely. It doesn't really matter because you got the SI5351 generating the carrier and BFO frequency. And, and you bilateral could, amps that right? are not frequency sensitive. Right. They're broadband. There you go. And you could and you could play around with different different bandwidths on the filter. So that is going to be, I think, my rig project for, for 2015. What do you think? Oh, I, you're right on the mark. Right on the mark. Mm. By the way, here, a comment about the SBL1s. Um, in uh, the let's build something we we homebrew the double balance mixers and and we did that for a couple of reasons one uh, cost uh, if you don't have a good source for the SBL ones which by the way our, our RF parts is is the place to buy them uh, they're four dollars and seventy five cents from RF parts if you go to uh, go to mini circuit labs they get nine bucks for them so wow. four seventy five is a lot better than nine right, <laughs> believe right. me but we we homebrewed it and in retrospect. Uh, that was so you could build everything yourself. Uh, I, it's hard to achieve the performance you get with the mini circuits labs. They're built on the line, exacting specs, and uh, I, I can see already that uh, maybe the conversion loss in the homebrew is a little bit is a little worse uh, yeah. than you get with the SBL one. So because uh, I have two identical circuits, one with SBL ones and one with the the homebrew, and I can tell the SBL ones it, it just works better. So. Yeah. But I think you're right about building it for the experience, you know. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I'm glad I did. I mean, I, and I've built so many of these, uh, you know, diode ring mixers over over the years. I think, uh, you know, and like I said, if, if this rig, if, if kind of the philosophy behind this new rig is going to be, well, kind of a deviation from my, uh, you know, radical analog discrete component fundamentalism. Might as well go all the way. <laughs> in for a penny, in for the pound, like they said. So, uh, okay, why not? Woohoo! I might even put an LM386 there at the AF amp. Oh, I know it's it's painful, but but you set me down this road. You know, once you start, once you start with those chips, you know, it's it's you know it's like it's you know what it is is that SI5351. It's like a gateway drug. You know, you start yes. using it. Next thing you know, SBL1s, and before you know it, Pete LM386s. Just say no. Say no, my friend. <laughs> Actually, the preferred circuit is an NE5534 driving in an LM380 for two watts. You know, two you're, watts you're, of audio. You're like a drug pusher over there. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. 
All right, so that's all I got on my bench now. I, maybe we should go to the news you could use segment. Yeah. Ta-da. Bing. Radio Shack's going under. We knew that was coming. Yeah. I, I felt bad for them I, when they when they announced that they were going to go into the that that their 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 saving uh, kind of strategy was to sell Arduinos. I said, <laughs> man, <laughs> I said, look, I live in I live in a really high tech area. I mean, there's a lot of high tech stuff going on around here. And we have a Radio Shack. We had one right down the street. And I said to myself, how many people realistically are going to walk into that place and say, I want to buy an Arduino Nano, you know? Yeah. It's just not going to happen. At at 40 bucks. At 40 bucks. Well, not only that, when you can get them on the internet cheaper and they deliver them to your house and you don't have to go out and deal with the Radio Shack. So anyway, I think it's a, it's a loss. I know people have been complaining and, (laughs) and, you know, you know, making fun of the Radio Shack guys for all these years, but. I'm going to miss them because it's it's really nice to be able to just go down to the end of the street and buy, you know, some 0.1 uh, microfarad bypass caps or, you know, 2N2222 resist, uh, transistors and all that. Fuse holders. Fuse, all this stuff, you needed it. Yeah. Well, now we're just going to have to go completely mail order. I don't know. More worrisome. Another Another closure that radio amateurs out there might not be aware of, I discovered to my dismay that our good friends at Jan Crystals, remember Jan Crystals? Yep. And I guess Jan stood for Joint Army-Navy, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Jan Crystals, they they still have a website. They still have an email address, and, you, it, and it still talks about crystals, but I sent them an email asking for a quote on a couple of crystals, and uh, they, uh, they sent me a nice email back saying, sorry, we're not in the crystal business anymore. That's a shock, man. I've been using them, using those for a long time. They were always very nice, but I guess technology marches on. Well, you, you know, that signals another aspect of this bill is that the, uh, a lot of the old bone anchors, you know, you, you relied on places like Jan and, and ICM, uh, to, uh, to sell you replacement crystals because a lot of those boat anchors are, you know, 50 years old now and the crystals go a little south and those used to be places they, you just tell them you want a crystal for a Drake or a Collins or a Helicrafters and they said, yeah, we can make it. They knew what the specs are. Yeah, no, you know, I, they I, can I, grind I have, them. I have crystals like that from Jan and the Drake 2B. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, but, okay, I found out Bomar won't do it unless you're buying in, in quantity, but, International Crystals, ICM that you just mentioned, International Crystals out of Oklahoma City, still will make you custom-made individual rocks. Because I was looking at, shows you, you know, I'm not completely, I haven't been completely won over by your, uh, your, 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 your DDS stuff there, Pete. I'm still, you know, I'm still clinging to the old ways. And I was looking at a couple of crystals for 23 uh, megahertz so I could use it in the, my other, you know, BidX uh, receiver. And, and, uh, They'll make them, but they want twenty-three bucks for a crystal, twenty-eight yeah. bucks. So, yeah. man, then you're you're getting to the point where you could just do the, the AD ninety-eight fifty and the and the nano or the the SI fifty-three fifty-one and get all the frequencies. Yes. With yes. a readout. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting lured in. Anyway, since we're talking about businesses and companies, you always have Ta-da. to remind me. The Shameless Commerce Division. Yes, oh, yes. The SCD, the SCD. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thank everybody who's been doing their Amazon shopping through the website. It has been helping. We have been using it for uh, radio-related items. So again, when you think Amazon, think Solder Smoke. Just go to soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Up in the upper right, there's a little search box. You uh, you go in there and you start your search there. 
and cha-ching, Mr. Bezos has to send us some money. And uh, it adds up. It's useful. It's great. It's, and and you don't, it doesn't cost you anything. What difference does it make to you? Just start out at Solder Smoke and yeah. get the money. Uh, the other thing we're pushing this week, speaking of pushers, um, <laughs> <laughs> the new book, Us and Them. It's, uh, you know, Solder Smoke, uh, a lot of people still buy on Solder Smoke or they like it. If you like Solder Smoke, you like us and them. It's not about radio, but it's about us and them. And many of you out there are in the them category because it's about our interaction with the uh, the foreign places that we lived. Yeah, the world, the world. That's the right, world. them, them, yeah. us and them. Um, we think you'll like the book, and uh, you know, maybe also that that you're a lot of. I know a lot of people have solder smoke playing, and the uh, their spouses are listening. And I, I know that the travelogue section was always very popular in that part of the family. So maybe your family members might like us and them. And then finally, oh yeah, one thing I'll let you guys know about. You know, if you look on the Blogspot page, there's a couple places where you can subscribe to uh, email alerts so that every time I put something up on the blog, you get an email alerting you to it. You just enter your email address in the little box, and then you'll, you'll get an alert, and it's, uh, it's pretty useful. Also, you can, you can, and you, you, there's a box there where you can subscribe. You can also subscribe to be alerted to comments, and this might be useful for some people because every once in a while, somebody will put a comment on a really old article. And unless you have this alert set up, you might not become aware of it, and it might be something that you're interested in. Anyway, that concludes this episode's portion of Shameless Commerce Division SCD. Uh, I was listening. You know, they're still they're playing Car Talk reruns. Yeah, those guys are geniuses. Yeah, they really are. And and the old fellow's gone now, but I I can't help but think of you know Billy and I were listening to it yesterday in the car. I can't help but thinking he would be really tickled to know that even though he's dead, people are still getting a kick out of his stories oh, yeah. and his interaction oh, and yeah, everything else. Yeah. So, and they they would talk about the Shameless Commerce Division, Division. and their law firm, Dewey, yeah. Tiedemann, Howe. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on and on. By the way, while we're talking about Shameless Commerce Division, my uh, my youngest son uh, is kind of a world traveler, and uh, he ha- he's in Japan right now. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him earlier today. And and listen to this: he had to go to Tokyo, and and the only place it was a real fast trip. As a matter of fact, he was in Singapore, and he said you got to be in Tokyo tomorrow. So he, the only place he could get a hotel was in this place called the Akihabara. Oh yes. <laughs> So he's right in the middle of this electronics district. 200 feet from the hotel where he's staying is, is electronics heaven. So you know what he does? He goes in there and takes all these pictures and sends them to me. He's in, in front of these stores that sell vacuum tubes. And, and vacuum tubes are a hot item because they got these audiophiles in Japan that build all these vacuum tube amplifiers. And he said they even have vacuum tube amplifier kits over there, you know, that you can buy. But he was showing you pictures of 845s, 810s. I mean, these are big triode <laughs> transmitting tubes that they've managed to get their hands on and and doing a booming business. I mean, people were elbowing their way in there. I mean, he took pictures, you know, and sent them to me. So I said, wow, oh, man. <laughs> so uh, I wish he could have get me a few things, but it'd be kind of hard to get that stuff back. But anyway. Oh, man, we used to have, we used to have a, a, one of our loyal listeners, Jonathan San, was over there. Jonathan Hayes was over there, and, and he used to send us reports. From Akihabara, Uh-oh. I could never pronounce it. Pronounce pronounce it as much as well as you did. That's pretty good. <laughs> Akihabara. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Arigato. Arigato. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. 
Before we go on, I have I have diagnosed an audio problem here, Pete. Uh oh. Your collar is rubbing up against your boom mic. Oh. God. And you know we'll get complaints about that. Oh, okay. I I opened my collar. I got All right, my there you go. We're, 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 there you go. Everybody, calm down. We're back on track. Okay. No one got, got hurt. It. All right. All right. Good. All right. Okay. I think it's time to update on the Mighty Midget project. The no, the Mighty Might, not the Mighty Midget. That's another project. Too many M's. The the Michigan Mighty Might. Some time for some numbers here. Time for some. Uh, I don't know. I guess status. Some, Updated status. Some straight talk from Soda yeah. Smoke headquarters. All right. We sent out forty-two. Count them. Forty-two crystals. Well, I did. You sent out a couple more, I think, right? Right. All right. So forty-four crystals went out, and we have received video or photographic proof of 22 rigs that have actually achieved oscillation. That's not good enough, gang. That's just 50%? Not even. We could do better yeah, than 22 50%. out of 44, yeah. 50%. Some of you guys out there are in possession of one of these crystals and have not yet built the rig. And I'm here to tell you there there are no acceptable excuses on this one. Months have passed, all right? And it's one up out to of you... Two or to improve that statistic right now. So come on, guys, build those those rigs. Even if you don't have the uh, the variable capacitor, which I suppose could be a somewhat reasonable excuse, there's all kinds of ways around it, including our friend Steve, who has said that he will provide one at cost to anyone who needs one. I don't think anybody's taken him up on it. So if you need that capacitor to, to get this rig going... Um, Send us a picture of that sad-looking rig sitting there with a big hole where the capacitor's supposed to be. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if Steve can 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 help you out. But um, and the the but the pictures and stuff that have come in are really great. I mean, we have I counted up on on the blog. We've got pictures and videos from 22 people, and it's a real. I mean, some really interesting approaches to building this thing. Ooh, seven yeah. parts, just seven parts. Yeah, I, think, I like the. Go ahead. I like the email from the guy that says uh, he had none of the seven parts. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, he still managed to build it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Hackaday is interested in this thing. So we, oh. may, we may see this thing featured on Hackaday. Oh, that'd because, be cool. Because it's very kind of hacky, you know, especially yeah. the bit about pulling the crystal out of the TVs because the analog TVs don't need them anymore. Yeah. So, and I think, I think Ben, was, was your friend Ben who spotted one in the parking lot? Of Home Depot. Yeah, you talk about a heroic find. You know, the guy is going along and he sees like a TV laying on the road in outside Home Depot, and his first thought is, "I got to get the crystal." <laughs> you know, you, you know that you're a little bit off the deep end when that's that that thought pops into your head. Well, the the one builder that I really admire, uh, K, and I I forget the call. It's a K eight, is it GS or something like? I know. No, I, forget I, I what, remember I forget. the call, but I remember the rig. Yeah. But but they made they made the key w with a strip of metal and a button for for the knob. It was very <laughs> cool. That was cool. Yeah. Very cool. Cute as a button, man. It was yeah, really nice, yeah, and yeah. it was right there on the rig. Yeah. It was good, and I think he was the one. When it was somebody else who had it like a tower, like a long. He had the coil form, and then he wound the coil on the form. And it looked like a piece of PVC pipe, and then he had like the compression cap In the on top. the top. So it yeah. looked like kind of a smokestack, yeah. and it was very artistic. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. If you want to take a look at the kind of the the rogues gallery of uh, of Michigan Mighty Mites, 
just go to the blog page and do a search on 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 Mighty Might, and um, you'll uh, you'll get a kick out of that. Anyway, but all the rest of you, you know who you are. Get I, I just want to say, one out of two of you are slackers. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know what? If, you, if you're considered a slacker in this group, you're really slacking. <laughs> All right. Speaking of speaking of crystals, I have a technical point here because we got to raise the technical level here. I mean, you raise it quite a bit. I, I I've got to do my bit here. So uh, I, I have a question here, and I want to see what you think about this. You know, when we're building crystal filters, um, Doug Demont and Wes Hayward were in the in the lead in telling us that the important thing to do is to characterize the crystals. In other words, you got to you get this crystal, and you've got to you've got to come up before you can properly design the crystal filter. You've got to know what like the the equivalent LC values are for this crystal. The motional inductance, I think they call it. Is it the motional capacitance too? But it's CLM, CM. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. there's a way to do this, and to get most of the values that you need to do this computation, there's a very simple device called the G3 UUR oscillator. And you use it with a little bit of software that's available. Um, Todd Gale, um, VE3BPO, has it on his site. You build this little oscillator, and all you do is you, you observe the frequency that the crystal is oscillating. Then you throw a switch that, that switches in about 30 picofarads, and you see what the second frequency is. And from this change and the software that Gale has, that, that Todd has on his site, presto, you get these values that will are almost enough to allow you to properly design your crystal filter but there's one value that that remains elusive and that value is the q of the crystal and and also the effective series resistance the esr if you have the esr you pretty much have the q so it's sort of like the same it's different versions of the same number but it's hard to get, and you, you can't use your G3UUR device to get it, so you're kind of left hanging there. You think you're about the, on the verge of properly designing your crystal, but your filter, but you can't because you don't have this number. Now, I have, there's all kinds of gyrations and all kinds of things that people do to get Q and get ESR, but they usually involve spectrum analyzers and, and pretty accurate frequency generators and stuff that might be beyond the uh, capabilities of your average radio amateur. But I have an idea, and I want to throw this out to the group. Um, you know, the, the crystals that I was using in my bid axes, I got, I think, from Mauser or DigiKey. And I said, wait a second. They've got, and when you look, when I go back into the website for Mauser and DigiKey and look at these crystals that I bought, they got, you know, they got a whole page of data on these rocks. And yep. sure enough, there's one column that says ESR. Now, it doesn't give you a precise value for each crystal, but it says something like maximum ESR 30 ohms, okay? So there you go. I, then I started saying, all right, let me go and use that value and plug it into some of the crystal design software. And I use a lot of the software from Experimental Methods and RF Design. It's basically Wes's. It's, it's Wes's software. And I'll say, I'll plug in... If it says 30, okay, let's cut it in half. Say 15, throw it in there, and see what the uh, the design looks like. And then I'll say, okay, let's let's assume that it's a 30 and throw it in there and see how much. It didn't make much difference. It, it really, the, the shape of the filter, the impedances, everything was pretty much the same. It didn't matter much whether you chose 
you know, 15 or 30, or even if you went down to like five, it gave you a ballpark figure. And I'm thinking that might be kind of in the good enough category that would allow people to do some realistic crystal filter design without having to go through the additional testing and agony for the for a really accurate measure of Q. What do you think? Uh, I, I'll add my two cents. I'll call it a, uh, a necessary parameter, but not necessarily a critical parameter. Right. So a, a range of values, just as you suggested, uh, vary the outcome, but the, the variance is not that significant relative to what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, stray capacitance could have a, a bigger effect than having an ESR of 20 versus 30. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you, I, I think I think you need to have a magnitude size of it. You can't put 30,000 in there, yeah. but certainly somewhere in the range 15 to 30 will put you real, real close. So I, I, I think I think that's a perfectly good assumption. All right. I feel better about it. We wait to, we wait to hear from the uh, from the other gurus out there. Tell us, are we on the path? Are, are we on the path to good enough? Which yes, is good really, enough. Really, what we're interested in. All good right. enough. Speaking about crystals, still, um, we might have, might have talked about this already, but you were talking about um, you know finding an old crystal filter, you know, in a junk box someplace. You mentioned those heat kit filters. And yeah. I got, I got two of them sitting in the HW101 back up there. One for phone, one for for CW. I think they're about 3.395 megahertz, something like that. Correct. Right? Correct. Yes. Now you fi- you'll find filters like this at Hamfest in those musty old boxes underneath the tables where all the good stuff is. But the problem is when you find the filter, what don't you find with it? The crystals, matching crystals. You need matching crystals for those of you guys for the for those newcomers out there. What do you need the matching crystals for? The oscillator. Uh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> so yeah. You, you you got this filter, but in all these rigs, the filter is paired up with a crystal or two crystals, usually one for upper sideband, one for lower sideband, or maybe yeah, three, maybe three maybe. for yeah for CW. CW, yeah. And if you don't have those, it's not quite such a great find yep. because you got now you got to figure out a way to come up with a really super stable frequency source so that you your filter will be properly chopping off the the the, the portion of the spectrum that you want to chop. But you have a solution for these poor people, don't you, Pete? Yes, I do, and I just wanted to make a quick comment here this is where bargaining comes in you when you spot one of these filters you say eh, you know god that's no good without the matching filters i'll or, give you three or, bucks for it or, no no or better you could say you could look really excited and say wow this is great then do you have the the matching crystals yeah yeah there you and go, then there when you they go. say no then you put on sad face yeah, oh, yeah. Man, I'll that's, give you three bucks for it. That's useless. Holy cow. <laughs> Might be a nice paperweight in the shack. Uh, I can't. Maybe I could use it to, for the, the slingshot when I'm putting an antenna yeah. off or something. But yeah, yeah three bucks, Max. Okay, so the, enter the SI5351. Yay. And because you can uh, <clears throat> essentially tune the output of the oscillator, what you need to do is find out what the... Um, upper and lower sideband frequencies or CW and you just write your Arduino sketch says okay if I want upper sideband you can do it with a toggle switch you know upper sideband throw it here put this frequency in and out comes upper sideband out comes lower sideband and by the way those Heathkit filters they're they're physically large but they're really quite good uh, they got an in and out of about 2k 
Dean's and uh, the bandwidth is about 2.2 kilohertz. Nice sounding. They're nice sounding filters. So don't, uh, don't tempt me. You know that that so, HW101 has been on the chopping block so, many times. So, by the way, I I built a bilateral amp circuit with the <laughs> with that Heathkit filter in it. So um, <clears throat> the, the the circuit diagrams exist, Bill, when you're ready to do it. Oh man! All right. Uh, but right. but that's a that's a real boon that you you know suddenly where you're stuck that you can't find them and I I got to be honest with you I uh, I actually found uh, and I had a SB one hundred one and HW one hundred one that I I fixed and recycled and those crystals over time age and they were off wow. and I I had a I had a batch that I bought and I was able to swap some in and get the thing fixed but but I got to tell you twenty eight bucks to get a crystal made is kind of exorbitant especially when you get the filter for three bucks <laughs> I know man <laughs> well I, and I want to tell you I got a filter I'm, listen I'm actually turning over my a cassette tape here can you believe it we have, we have backup upon backup because we, wow. we don't want to lose any of this uh, tribal knowledge that you're putting out here Pete so we're, we're backing you up uh, with several different systems oh there you go good stuff <laughs> but anyway talking about filters and crystals uh, Steve Snort Rosin Smith out there on the uh, on the left coast uh, a while back, sent me the only Yesu item that I have in my entire ham shack, and that is a a, a nine megahertz filter out of an old Yesu. Oh, and, yeah. And he, but yeah. He, and he, but Steve, Steve's a smart guy, and he sent me the board, and on the board are the associated crystals. So I have them go. sitting here, and they, that's that's waiting someday. That nine megahertz IF could be very useful. So uh, one of these oh, days, yeah. one of these days, we'll do something with that. But hey, I, I want to throw in just along the lines of what you were just saying about using the SI5351 in an older rig. And this is something that, that popped into my head and I'm thinking about doing this. When I first got on 17 single sideband, I had built this, um, a separate receiver and a separate transmitter. And, you know, and, and so every time I would, you know, you know, old timers will know what I'm talking about. You have the zero beat. You hear a station you want to call, you hit the spot button, you zero beat it, and then, you can speak to them, but it's it's pretty barbaric for those who are accustomed to uh, a transceiver. But anyway, um, I still have this transmitter, and I still have the receiver. Uh, the problem is they're operating with two different IFs. The the transmitter is using crystals out of an old Swan 240. The IF was 5.173 megahertz. Right? It's got a, yep. a lattice filter. Uh, somebody gave me this rig in the Dominican Republic. I took it apart. I wisely kept the crystals, all the crystals for the filter and the associated oscillators. So I had that. That became the heart of this first sideband transmitter that I built back in the Azores. Later on, I got the bare bones superhead that Dale Parfit made, and I, I got that. Now, Dale has the IF there on 5 megahertz, right? So it's not simply a matter of using the same oscillator for both rigs it's just not going to work but the si5351 could come to the rescue correct correct i could set it up so that i have one vfo providing the required frequency for the transmitter and the other vfo from the same device providing necessary freak for the receiver and the readout being the actual operating frequency correct correct man that is really cool yeah, as a matter of fact, you can either do it with one knob or two knobs. I'm going with one. Okay, one, one knob, all you do is 
it would be offset by the difference of the two IFs. Right. So that the frequency being generated, one will be higher or lower depending upon which one is which. So you tune the knob, you read the display, and both frequencies, both rigs will be on the same frequency. I might even put the receiver in the same box. How about there that? There you go. Holy there cow. You go. We're going we're talking transceiver here. Yeah. So when yeah. I moved when I moved to the southern location, I can take that with me. Oh and, yeah. And leave this station intact up here in the Great White North. Yep. Man. Yep. Good stuff. That'll work. All right. Pete, this uh, brings us now all this talk of modernity <laughs> brings us to uh modern radio. This is the modern radio <laughs> segment of the show. <laughs> and I guess we should start out with uh, Duane's SNA Jr. Oh man, cool! What a project! What a project! And and a huge hit in uh, in in Internet Hackerland. Um, I think you were the one you were the one who told me about this. He started out with like an SWR device, right? I'm gonna turn off my rig. It's making too much noise. Anyway, um, he started out with like an SWR tracker. He was using uh, an Arduino Nano. An AD9850 DDS chip, the one that I've been using, and one of those little screens that you've been working with. Tiny little yeah. screen. Yep. They're out of cell phones, aren't they? Yep. Okay. So he put the whole thing in uh, an Altoids tent. With a battery. With the battery. Yeah. All right. That We thought that was pretty amazing. But then he went further and he played with the code. He played with a little bit of hardware. He put in a couple of logarithmic amplifiers in there. And he came up with what he calls the SNA Junior. The what is it? The uh, the, the Scalar Network Analyzer. The Scalar Network Analyzer Junior, yep. right? And so what he was doing, and this really kind of resonated with me, no pun intended, but he was taking this thing and using it to sweep filters. He started out with a low-pass filter, and sure enough, on the screen you see the bandwidth curve of a well designed low-pass filter. Then he took and he threw together a little crystal filter. I think he had three crystals in there. And threw it together and ran the scan and took a, a picture of the output. And man, it looks it looks exactly like what I get after my agonizing process of manually changing the frequency by 100 hertz, <laughs> writing them all down, plugging them into a spreadsheet, converting to log, making a graph, and he did it, boom, right there. So I, when I saw this, I said, oh, this, I mean, this, I, I kind of know the kind of things that the Hackaday people are going to like. So I asked Dwayne if it was okay if I put it up on the site. He said, yeah, okay, go ahead. So I put it up on my site, and then I, I shot an email over to the Hackaday guys, and they put it right up. Man, I have never seen a response to something like this. I got over 5,600 visits to my site because that's what Hackaday put up. So 5,600 people were taking a look at Duane's creation. And then if you look at the comments, the comments are all like, I want one of these. I got to have one. Help me build one. You know, everybody was really yeah. super impressed. So modern radio. Yeah, and the second iteration was used the color used the color screen so you got the blue background with the with the white i mean yeah it's not black and white it's color <laughs> oh man fantastic so great great stuff i mean oh. and, we, and now, now there's something else we got to mention here and oh. I, this this one was scary because this one almost caused pete giuliano to take a trip to the dumpster 
but he, he was pulled back at the last minute. Uh, on the Hackaday site, I saw something, and I was one of these things where I was not really paying too much attention, and then I decided to go take a look at it again, and I uh, I went, and it's what they call portable SDR, and this guy is it's it was a Kickstarter campaign where he's trying to gather money to launch in a in a more organized way a project, and portable SDR it's got the, it's got the same little screen that you've been using, right? Right. And he's got a he's got a board there, and I, you know I had kind of had this kind of in the back of my mind because I was thinking you know Pete's using the SI fifty three fifty one for the for the frequency generation for the BFO and the VFO, and if you had a, I was thinking in terms of if you had a Raspberry Pi in there loaded up with some um, you know some uh, you know digital so, uh, software defined radio processing uh, software you could put the whole thing on an Arduino. <laughs> an SI5351 with a Raspberry Pi underneath. But this guy went ahead and did it all on one board. And, man, I thought it was really cool. He's got a neat little box for it. He's got a a, a, a Morse code iambic key on there. And he claims he's going to be able to do the entire HF spectrum plus uh, and, and almost all modes just with the software-defined radio in this little box the size of a cell phone. And, and he has a GPS in there. He's got a GPS in it, and he says he's going to make, be able to make a vector, vector network analyzer, have it in there. And, and I thought the cool thing about the GPS as an emergency radio, if you're in trouble out in the woods somewhere and can send out a low-power signal, it'll tell people where you're at via the GPS. I mean, that, that to me is amazing. Man, I, I think about, you know, my trip down to the Dominican Republic, and if I had been able to throw one of these in the back, take all bands with you, <laughs> yeah. holy cow, all bands, all modes, man, it, it was, it's really cool. Anyway, he had the Kickstarter campaign going, and when Pete saw this, he, uh, anyway, he got, he got it. He had to reach uh, 60000 bucks, and uh, he, he, he reached it just at the last minute, I think, they went over the 60000 and so then now he gets the money, and now he's able to develop this thing. But then, but this, I remember when I first sent it to you, I got an email back saying, I am heading to the dumpster with all of my ham gear. It's all been rendered obsolete. And I said, no, don't do it. I said, not the KX3. Don't do it with the KX3. Yeah. Because that, that you know, brings I, us to your new Yes, your I, new have a, I, have a, I have a new radio in the shack, uh, an Alicraft KX3. And, and I got to tell you, uh, you, you know the old adage: if you can hear them, you can work them. Remember, people always yeah, say, "Yeah, it was never really, never really true in my case." But yeah, but I gotta tell you, you can hear them, but I'm not so sure you can work them. I mean, this thing is so good on the receiver, and you know, you're just able to do so many, many things with it. Really, truly amazing that uh, you know, running it at, uh, at uh, five or eight watts uh, might be a little difficult in some of these pileups, uh, but you'll hear everything there. And, and I wanted to uh, share a little story with you after having it on the air for about a weekend. And it's since been put aside because of this pressure of getting the article uh, finished for let's build something. So I want, I want to get back to that. But I was so impressed. I made uh, QRP contacts on uh, 17 meters, on 40 meters, uh, 10 meters, and, you know, good signal reports. And uh, it, it's, it takes a little while to learn all the functionality. I mean, there's 
quite an extensive uh, uh, manual that goes with it, and to really get all the benefit out of it, uh, you, you've got to read the manual and understand it. So I thought I'd send a little note to Wayne Burdick. said, uh, hey, Wayne, you know, he's one of the co-founders of, uh, of Allocraft. I said, I just want to give you some feedback about your, your radio. And the uh, thing that's interesting is the, the many of the controls are multifunction. Uh, you can tap a control or tap a button, and it does one thing. If you hold uh, the button in, it does something else. And if you hold a certain button in, there's a, a knob above it that does yet a third thing. So there's m many, many things. So I thought I was sort of being a wiseacre by saying, you know, I, I could not find the button that you can tap or you can hold or you can rotate that will remotely turn on the coffee pot. That's the only thing that I, I found negative, <laughs> negative with the with your with your product here. It does everything else, but I couldn't find that button. So he sends me back an email and said, "You didn't do this. You, you didn't read the manual. <laughs> you didn't read the manual." He said, "You really can do that." There's there's an <laughs> he says there's an accessory, uh, and, and I should talk will, about will this. Will it do my taxes, Pete? I don't know about that, but, but maybe close. There's an accessory button. And it's really interesting the, the amount of thought that went into this. And as a matter of fact, he shared with me, he said, uh, he said this was his radio, his radio in the sense that, uh, he likes to operate, uh, portable and he likes to operate QRP. And so when you design something for the masses or you design something because you want certain features and functionalities. There's a little bit of difference in in how the design turns out. So I mean, th this is really amazing. They got an output port. Actually, it's an output or input port, and it, it has you can program it to do four different things. If you want to use it as uh, output to control a linear amplifier by putting one code in, uh, when you key it up, it, it'll produce a zero voltage. Like maybe you need a relay closure. Or you can produce three volts, so it's a logic level. So you can <clears throat> run that into some sort of logic circuitry to uh, key a whole bunch of things. Or you can program that specific port to be an input port. And I'd say, well, why would you want to do that? And the reason is if you're remoting the radio, you can send a signal into that port and essentially via the Internet turn that radio on because that's now an input port instead of an output port, and it'll respond again to zero or three volts. So I actually been thinking about how to turn on the coffee pot remotely, and, and it, it involves an Arduino <laughs> and the KX3. But I mean, superlative receiver, uh, tremendous amount of functionality, and and you know what's hard to believe is uh, uh, the price point. I mean, th this this is truly amazing uh, what you get in that box, and it's small. And as a matter of fact, the, the other thing that struck me is back in the early 70s, uh, when two meters first became very popular, they used to talk about the two-meter bricks. I mean, some of the two-meter radios were like a brick. They're about the size of a brick. Well, this is about the size of a brick, but it's a lot more than what you see in the two-meter. So my, my hat is off to those guys. And what I hope to do is I spend a little more time uh, actually uh, playing with the radio in its various aspects, uh, I'll I'll share with you what I've what I've uh, learned and uh, what I've experienced. But I got to say, uh, high marks. I mean, superlative receiver, uh, lots of functionality. Uh, you know, lots of opportunities. You can pass band tuning, noise blankers, noise reduction. 
you know, audio filters, uh, easy, e pretty easy to switch between the modes. Um, you know, upper sideband, lower sideband, CW. They even have expanded single sideband. You know those guys with the big booming voices yeah, and, 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 and sideband. Side My audio yeah. is mellowy, not yeah. yellowy. And and they even have an EQ on on receive and EQ on transmit, oh, so man, we you, could you, you could get if you got to be careful, Pete. You can get lost in the EQ settings for years and years. <laughs> but they're there. They're there. I mean, I mean they're and it's in this box that's the size of a brick. I mean that's that's what I got to keep telling myself. It's 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 amazing, you know, and just just things that they have done uh, to uh, to really put a lot in there. And the, the receivers just. Absolutely stunning. That's that's the word I used when I I emailed uh, Wayne. So uh, oh, it's, it's, save your pennies, guys. This is this is a radio. This yeah, is something it, we're gonna. It's gonna be great because we'll have you. Let's do it this way. Every time you come on, we every time we do a show, you'll do a segment on what you've yeah, learned from yeah. the KX3 because it's a way for us to keep in touch with the uh, with the cutting edge. You know, because yeah, it it really is. Uh, I'll I'll take care of the trailing edge, and, and you <laughs> and the KX3 and Wayne will be on the cutting. Well, edge. the other okay. thing too is uh, they have software updates. I mean, I, I saw that. I was I was looking at some guy's website. He was talking about who's updating his software. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, there's changes or improvements. It's not you have to send the radio back. You just plug in the Internet and hook it to your computer, and you get the latest update. So oh, truly and, amazing. And the other good thing about it is, as we said before, it's great to have such a great radio coming from a group, such a great group of people. And, and Wayne and Eric and everybody at, at Ellicraft, they're just such nice folks. And they've oh, got yeah. Their, they've got their roots really in ham radio. So, uh it's just just fantastic stuff. So, all right, we'll be looking forward to more KX3 reports. Hey, one right. thing else I wanted to mention: uh, you got a new video out, and yeah. we were talking about that before. But make sure everybody looks at it. It's on the uh, on Pete's um, Let's Build Something uh, resource site. I got a link to it up on the on the blog. I'll put a I'll put a I'll embed the uh, the video there on the blog too, so you guys can see it. But it's the new receiver in action. Very very cool. And I, I was really excited to see in that video, Pete, that. That there is a like an extra bonus band possibility in this project. Not only are we talking forty, but we're talking about seventeen meters. Yeah, yeah. Man, you, yeah. You're, you're hooking me on this one. I, 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 yeah, I might have to build yeah. this one too. Yeah. All right. Just, just a, a, a toggle switch and some lines of code. That's that's all you need. <laughs> I'm tempted. All right. Listen. Now we've got to, we we do have to keep up with some tradition here. So and we haven't been doing this in recent segments, but let's do. The um, let's do a pause here. Ooh, that's awesome! All right, that's where I put in the gong. So we're in the solder smoke mailbag segment now, and we got a nice one. This was I thought really interesting. I don't know if you saw it yet, uh, P. We just just came in this morning from uh, from Bob N7SUR. Uh, Bob is out there in the Salem, Oregon area. That I know that's part of the country you you're familiar with. And uh, he went to the uh, to the Rick Reel Ham Radio Ham Fest. Is that what they call it? Do they call it Rick Reel? Yeah, Rick right. Reel. Anyway, he was talking a little bit about how um, the audience uh, in he he had kind of a a science project display on home brewing, and he said he was kind of underwhelmed by the audience interest in it. Uh, but then I'll read you the segment of the letter because I think it's it's really interesting. He says. Uh, in the course of the morning, two guys approached. One was in his 70s, the other much younger. The older guy had a look of familiarity. He looked like a guy in the solder smoke blog. Bill, N2CQR, was pictured 
sitting with him in California over coffee. I blurted out, Are you ZOI? He replied, Yes. And I told Wes Hayward, W7ZOI, it was nice to meet him. That was a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The what man. A, what a surprise. You're standing yeah. there, you know, at your homebrew kind of science fair project kind of thing, and who pops in but Wes Hayward. But it gets it gets even better. Watch this. He goes, with Wes was Jeff Dam, WA7MLH, who built many of the circuits included in the book Solid State Design for the Radio Amateur. I always loved Jeff's rigs. I've commented on this before because they added an element of the real radio amateur there because they were always, let's face it, and he would say it, a lot of them were really ugly in their, in their, you know, the QST and the ARRL would always have these circuits where every wire was at a precise 90 degree angle. Every wire was precisely cut and everything else. And there was nothing, you always got the feeling that I could never build that. But you looked at Jeff's rigs and you thought, you think, well, yeah, I could, I could probably do that. Anyway, um, let's say it says, I suggested to Jeff that he no longer looks like a hippie, <laughs> <laughs> which is the style conveyed by his webpage. Jeff said that he had recently cut his hair. We spent more than an hour sharing ideas and discussing various topics. My focus was on encouraging experimentation. Kit building may be nice, may be a nice first step. I want to see builders pursuing more advanced investigations. Wes noted the software and simulation tools available for free. It's never been a better time to try out ideas. Wes commented on the contribution of amateurs and how we often have fewer restrictions uh, in pursuing our interests. He emphasized measurement tools. I should look more at noise figure in my receiver experiments. He was very supportive, um, uh, which contrasts with my recent experience on various Internet groups. So I'm sorry about that, Bob, but uh, I'm glad you got... Uh, no, it goes on. Wes and Jeff we're looking for Rick Campbell, KK7B, and Bob Larkin, W7PUA. The Imagine. four biggies. I yeah. know. The four biggies. Yeah. Imagine the three authors of experimental methods in RF design, EMRFD, frequenting a little ham fest in rural Oregon. Yet few people knew they were there. Yeah. No man is a hero in his own country. Yeah. Old, old, yeah. old phrase, something like that. That was good. And the one other thing I want to mention, and so long as we're in the mailbag, I, I, I happened to be on Facebook yesterday, and Farhan popped in. And we were we were kind of uh, live chatting there and going back and forth and talking about rigs and what he's working on. The uh, a newspaper in India published a really nice article. It's in the Hindi. I have it up on the blog on World Radio Day, which was February 13th. And they interviewed Farhan about radios that he knows and loves. And he they have a nice picture of them where, there with some of his favorite receivers, and he talks about you know, the, the knack and being a kid interested in radio and how he stuck with it. I thought that was, that was really nice. But as we were going back and forth, we, we talked about a, a bunch of different things. He, uh, he mentioned the, uh, the, the movie, The Imitation Game that he had seen about Alan Turing. And he said that he spotted an HRO receiver in the movie. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Well, well I was watching The Americans that this, this kind of spy TV show that they have on. And I saw an HW32A in there last week so there's a lot of old radios we talked a little bit about that um and then i told him about my idea about uh, plug-in filters and i was i was i I was thinking i was being very advanced i was going to do plug-in filters 
And I, I think he was, I don't know whether he was pulling my leg or whether he just misunderstood what I was saying. He said, well, yeah, you could also do like a plug-in coil for the VFO. And I said, Farhan, I said, I'm trying to get into the 21st century here. But every time I try, I'm getting pulled back into the 1930s. I mean, plug-in coils. So we had a good laugh about that. But it was good to catch up with Farhan. Pete, we are at the one minute, one hour, eight minute point. Yeah. Wow. You've got Time to get flies back to... when you're having fun, it huh? It definitely does. And we definitely have. I have. And so it's time for you to get back to the bench to finish up all these projects. Oh, yeah. I, really, I'm under the gun to get this, this you thing get it done. done. So then, then you can get back to the KX3 after you get done. Oh, yeah. I might try to get a sneak a little time. I might clear space off on the bench here and put it back on there and get on the air a little bit. You, you need to you need to, you need need to, to keep abreast of what's happening. Must, today might be a good day. I think it'd be good. There'll be everybody will be on the air. It's a holiday here in the United States, so people will be home. They'll be on the air. All right, try it out. Seventeen cool. meters. I recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Pete, thanks a lot. Thanks for getting up early in the morning. Oh, you bet. Uh, my delight. So uh, seven threes from the left coast. And we'll see you next time. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!